Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me today is Catherine Austin Fitz for a very exciting conversation that I've been really looking forward to. And this is in regard to a few different topics. One of the things that I've really been kind of diving through and discussing and, and to the frustration of a lot of people being, you know, irritatingly objective, as we like to put it, around the ingredients in the injection and, and what we're seeing within that and the evidence around that. So one of the people I wanted to talk to specifically about that topic, somebody who has been investigating a lot of different things and I, one of the, somebody out there in this field that I respect more than most, and that's Catherine Austin Fitz. But we're also going to talk about some things around the Ukraine discussion and the biolabs and how this seems to kind of cross over into the larger discussion that we've had about COVID-19 and, and the larger agenda behind all of that, which, as we've discussed with her in the past, is the financial enslavement that's building. And we'll talk about the cryptocurrency addition to that a little bit and you know where we see all of this going. And this is a conversation that needs to be had today for us to kind of flesh out where exactly we see all this building, because a lot of this is hypothetical. We're, we're kind of taking the history around this, what we see them doing today, what we know about their actions and kind of trying to piece this together. So I'm honored to have back on the show, Catherine Austin Fitz. How are you today? Hey, it's great to be back. I, I always enjoy our conversations. I just find it to be, it actually opens up a lot of questions for me as well to continue to research <laughs> into, you know, it's, it's, it's I know I keep, dynamic. you know, we do these quarterly wrap ups on the Solari report and every quarter there are, we try to do the top 20 stories. We're now up to 55 unanswered questions. <laughs> so it's the top 20 stories and the top 55 unanswered questions. So the, the questions just keep getting longer. I mean, as much as that seems to frustrate people today, I, I love that. I mean, I think what that begins to show us is the, the, the interesting shift today that there are people don't like unanswered questions, right? They right. want to find someone who says, here's the answer, whether or not there's facts to back it up, as opposed to people that I would argue like yourself and myself, which would say, well, it's a, we're okay saying we don't know. In fact, we don't right. know probably most of these questions or the answers to them. And that's why we continue to do this. And I think it's the partisanship, the two-party paradigm is really dangerous in that regard where people want a false answer over anything else. So I'm a money person and I spent many years on wall street or managing money or managing assets and risk positions. And, you know, on wall street, if you understand the situation 3%, then you make money relative to the guy who understands it 2%. Hmm. You can't wait until you have good information in many instances to trade, you know, just not trading is mm -hmm. a trade. So you've got to, right you've got to work with the intelligence you have. And so you spend a fortune on trying to get great intelligence, but you're also prepared to operate in unbelievable uncertainty. And that's why I love to ask questions because they help me create a framework for a situation. Right. So a framework can help me sort of understand, you know, understand the world enough so that when the missile comes in, I can duck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't have to stay frozen until I have perfect information. So I love to ask questions because that's what helps me get to the bottom of things is asking questions. Yeah. And that's actually an excellent analogy for where we are, because in that same right. point, if you act in, on flagrantly incorrect information, it's going to be catastrophic to your trading or to the missile coming at your head. Right. So it's, it's right, about, but you, you, you know, I can't wait to prove there's an iceberg before I turn the boat. I have to mm -hmm. turn the boat in time to miss the iceberg. And yes. that may mean I have to, you know, I have to do the best I can. That So I yeah. love questions because to me, you've got to frame the uncertainty to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's perfect for other Ukraine discussion or COVID-19. We get we have to start turning before we realize we're on top of it, right? Well, <laughs> I'll right. tell you something. I've spent a lot of time going through a lot of disinformation, as I know you do too. Mm -hmm. And um, And one of the ways 
that they market disinformation is to try and give you fake certainty. Right. You know, you hunger for certainty. And so they give you fake certainty and you fall for it because you just want, you know, certainty. Right. Right. I've been, the idea of false certainty, my audience is well aware of, I've been drilling down. I mean, long before COVID it's the, that's what the two party paradigm provides. Exactly. It's false certainty around the situation. So let's start off today with, with the discussion of Ukraine and, and, and just a couple of quick, interesting discussion points around how this seems to connect. And, and it's, it's plenty would probably assume or imagine that it's easy to look at a conversation and draw parallels to things that you're otherwise researching, right? That's, you know, confirmation bias and so on. But I I feel very clear, very strongly that what we're seeing today, whether it's just because this COVID great reset agenda is so monumental, but it's hard not to see these overlaps into what's happening. And I found it really interesting just to start that not only are we seeing this very red scare era type of just racist mentality towards Russian people right now, which is totally being acceptable, which I'll show a couple points about just to get your thoughts on. But I found uh-huh. it really interesting that Meta of all places, which I, I know we've talked about in regard to where this all seems to be going. Whitney, Whitney and I talked about Meta and the, the metaverse right. and all this. It comes out that apparently the Meta spokesperson, Andy Stone, has now stated that as a result of what he dubbed the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Meta has temporarily made allowances for forms of political expression that would normally violate his rules, like, quote, violent speech such as death to Russian invaders. I, I just was, I mean, this is, it's like they're contradicting everything that they are to push in this agenda, you know, saying the quiet part out loud, as I keep saying. And it said Stone added that the company, quote, won't allow credible calls for violence against Russian civilians. So now they're just differentiating between certain acceptable allowances of violent expression because Apparently, it's okay to be violent against Russians. Now, this is sort of an abstract point, but I thought the meta time was interesting. And I just kind of wanted your thoughts on it before we jumped into more conversation. So, you know, so I call this the Shriekometer. And the Shriekometer is the machinery that gets turned on when you're trying to promote or force a particular narrative. And I've never seen the Shriekometer as high as it's been since the. Um, since the West triggered the invasion. Right. I'm glad you <laughs> by said Russia. That. So, yeah. So we've had a couple of very uh, courageous politicians stand up and say, look, you know, I mean, Russia has said for at least 10 years, if you do this, we will be forced to invade. It's a little bit like what Kennedy said during the Cuban Missile Crisis. If you do this, we will be forced to take military action. Right. So, so, The Russians have been absolutely clear. If you try and circle us and create first strike capacity, you know, we will stop you from doing that. So, um, and it was, I think it was Tulsi Gabbard who got on Fox News and said, you know, the problem with the coronavirus is it just didn't create enough. Oh, the problem with terrorism is it didn't create enough support for the defense budget. And we just see a blockbuster new budget for defense this last week. You know, so so here we are, uh, here we are again, <laughs> ready to support a a big defense budget with a visible enemy. Anyway, so so the reality is that that and and Gabbard said, you know, we caused this invasion. They have said for many many years, you know, and you almost wonder if Biden isn't speaking to the investors when we say we will not intercede militarily. He's he's despite the shriekometer, he's promising the investors. Mm-hmm. You know, that, uh, you know, yes, we triggered this invasion and yes, we're not going to do anything about it. Hmm. So, so, 
we're watching a game go on, in my opinion. And um, uh, it's very interesting because to me, the most interesting thing that has happened other than the multiple occurrences of the splitting of the financial systems now into something that gives much more power and strength to the Chinese system. Mm-hmm. So Are you really talk about the, 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 the uh, sticking off the SWIFT system and how they're now working together outside of that. Well, China and Russia have been working on a, a Chinese alternative to SWIFT. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see Visa leave Russia and Spare Bank, the largest Russian bank, move into the mere Chinese system. You know, so we're watching a real, uh, real significant resources and allocation of power into the Chinese and Asian system. Right. So I think of this as a dramatic event that signals the rise of the land empire and the Silk Road is definitely on. And there's a whole bunch of people globally who clearly want to take big equity positions before it goes any further. Mm-hmm. So this is their opportunity to do that. So um, you would argue, you would you believe or what, what are your thoughts on whether this is a, a byproduct of what's happening or rather something that was driven into action because of the larger kind of great reset financial shift? Do you think this is an a, intentional action? So I think this is being uh, uh, this is <clears throat> in part inspired by what I call the going direct reset, which is right. to me the real reset. It's the central bankers reset. But I also think there's real tension here because, uh, you know, Russia has always, from what I can tell, played ball with Mr. Global. But I think Russia wants to remain sovereign and Mm -hmm. the Chinese want to remain sovereign. India wants to remain sovereign. And part of remaining sovereign is not getting drained by the dollar system and shifting more resources into the into the build out of the land empire. So I think we are watching the emergence of a multipolar world. I think we are watching an emergence of a much more powerful Chinese financial system. And and I think we are watching a very tense situation that could get worse. So, you know, in situations like this, things can go in unexpected ways. Would would, you, would it be a fair statement to argue that the one of these entities, maybe the U.S. government in this case, like that there is a larger agenda that they all kind of seem to be in some degree in lockstep about, but that there's differentiation on the lower level between how this plays out, like within Ukraine or maybe larger. Like it doesn't it doesn't seem that they're all on the same page to some degree, or is that more just illusion? So so back in the 90s, when the neocons basically took hold and started pushing American foreign policy, we saw real tension between the neocons and what was then the Rockefeller Republican, you know, the more moderate. And I remember it was in the early 2000s, I think it was 2004, Richard Haas, sometime in there, the head of the Council of Foreign Relations, wrote a very gracious article about basically the neocons were going to destroy the American brand. And he was right. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was real tension between the, the moderates who I would describe as internationalists and the neocons. And I think basically, Ryan, that the neocons have destroyed America. Interesting. And they led the globalization of the unipolar model. And I think basically they've, uh, they have absolutely destroyed it. Um, with the exception that, you know, maybe there's some kind of magical space weapons that can pull the rabbit out of the hat. But, if you look at what's going on right now in Ukraine, I would say 
the winners are going to be the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the Brits and China are going to be the winners and Germany, France, the EU and America are going to be the losers. And the clear message to any citizen in the G7 is the subsidy flowing to you from the dollar system is is dying. I don't know how much longer it lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason it's dying is there's been a financial coup. Mm-hmm. So I've talked a lot about the missing money in the United States but a great deal of money has been stolen and and the plan the goal of the of the leadership in these countries is to put us into a control grid where they can implement extreme austerity because they done stole all the money and they don't want to give it back are, are you referring just to the covid-19 transfer of wealth or or building up to that from before no no because we've had rounds of disaster capitalism for decades right. now covid-19 is just the the latest round although a particularly successful and rich one for the leadership. Right. But the financial coup I'm referring to starts with the missing money in fiscal 1998. There's $21 trillion miss, right. missing just from U.S. accounts alone through 2015. It's an extraordinary amount of money, but that was, you know, that was retirement money. That was money for healthcare. That was money for nursing homes, et cetera. So, so I think what they want is they want the, you know, we've had a balance of power, with this, with the banks running the monetary policy through the central bank and the legislature running the fiscal policy and the tax proceeds through the through the democratic process system, if you will, mm-hmm. through the republic. And so you've had a balance of power between the people and the or the people's representatives and the bankers. And now the bankers are taking over the treasury, and they can do that because they've managed to bankrupt the government. So you've had debt go up wildly and you've had, um, uh, you know, debt go up wildly and, and the money disappearing from, you know, the, the proceeds from the debt comes into the treasury and then the money disappears out the back door, (laughs) but you leave a government that's bankrupted. And so rather than tell people, Oh, we've stolen all your money and too bad. You're, you know, you're going to have to radically reduce your quality of life. You just come along, you put them on a digital transaction control grid, and then you just, you know, you just mandate them into either, you know, a lower population or a population living on a much lower standard of living. You know, it's if mm-hmm. it's forced austerity. So if you look at the COVID restrictions of ease, but if you look at the effort to build out the control grid, it's it's doubled down. It's accelerating. Right. Right. So, you know, look at what the WHO is doing with an international pandemic treaty. Look at what all these different states are doing with vaccine passports or ID wallets. Look at what the European Union is doing with ID wallets. You know, they've learned a lot over the last two years. They're reengineering and they're coming back with a a ferocious push that's going to start, you know, I'm assuming late summer or fall. They right. want complete control and they're not going to stop until they get it or they fail. Right. And that's the important part that we really hope people can continue to see is that that like you just play, laid out, it's not in fact, it's I don't think it's ever even paused. It, it is the, the actions, the policy underneath everything has increased. The narrative has shifted. Right. as I think we talked about last time. And I, the, the important part, one of the things, the important part of what you said there to remember for those listening is that this is connected from the beginning. As we discussed the security state transitioning into the biosecurity state, this goes all the way back. And it's important right. to see that continuity. It, it, I think what's interesting, though, is that it's it's always been there's a lot of this that you discussed in the past that show this lead up to it that does connect it. Like we talked about the BlackRock bailout plan that was written before all of this. And you've done a lot of work there. It just clearly shows 
that that there, there's there's a connection there. Would, would you argue that the BlackRock that that plan or what happened there was that kind of like the official takeover, the shift into that <clears throat> position that we're in now? Yeah. So I think the send the G seven central bankers agreeing to the going direct reset <coughs> was basically the central bank agreeing to take over fiscal policy in the treasuries. And this was 2019, correct? The going direct. Yeah, it was August 22nd or 23rd, 2019. And you can look online and look at all the people who were there at Jackson Hole and, and, and in the central bankers meeting, they meet there once, you know, every year at that time. So, so I think that's what started all of this. And I think that's the, the real reset, but I do think the, the the compelling of that reset was compelled by the decision in 1995, you know, when I, it was described to me by one of the largest pension funds uh, presidents in the country. They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. And that's when the financial coup began. And the reason the financial coup was so important was if you didn't stop it along the way and you let them steal all the money, then it was a fait accompli that they would have to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they once you steal what you, you make, you make 40 years of promises and then you steal all the money you need to fulfill those promises. Then you're going to have to abrogate on the promises. And the question is, how do you do that? How do you market it? Right. And 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 what you have to do is after you've had a financial coup, you have to consolidate into a real coup, which is a fundamental change in the governance structure. And that's what this is. And being laid at the feet of COVID-19, amongst other things. And I think that's obviously where Derek's work on, say, the parasite stress theory makes it clear that they understand that all they needed to do was create something like this, if that's what happened, a even the threat of a parasite or some kind of virus, and people fall into lockstep. And I think that was easy, a way to, to hide what was really happening. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think what you want is you, you want to constantly distract people with both invisible and visible enemies. Mm-hmm. So the magic virus is in the invisible enemy that doesn't support strong defense budgets. So, you know, terrorism is an invisible enemy, but it wasn't supporting a strong defense budget. So sometimes you need visible enemies too. The Russians are visible enemies, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. $14 now, billion dollars just went from aid. They just agreed on $14 billion in aid, which is, I arguing it's the same, just more money in the same direction. Right. So it's very interesting. I was just getting a briefing on the sort of the history of anthrax mm-hmm. and um, talking about an, a Russian expert who came to the United States in 1992 and helped to build is a defector, helped to build the anthrax that was, you know, the, the infrastructure that was then part of 9-11 and part of some of the other events, you know, helping to create the Patriot Act and more central control. Apparently, he when things got hot, he left and went to the Ukraine in 2007. And there's a continuum in the biowarfare and anthrax story, you know, from Russia to the United States, back to the Ukraine. Right. To me, one of the most, I believe that one of the, the Ukraine is really a story of how the neocons blew it and blew the unipolar model. Um, but very interesting. To me, the most fascinating thing that's happened yet on the Ukraine is watching Victoria Newland testify and admit right. to bio, I forget how she said it, bio warfare research labs. Now it's research. And, and you know, you have to, you, you cannot lie. There, there is real legal risk if you lie in congressional testimony. Right. 
whether you're sworn in or not, people understand that it's actually a crime. It's a, a, a felony to simply lie in front of Congress. Right. People know that. So you could see she felt nervous and squeezed. And so she, more or less, she tried to disseminate the truth, but she told the truth. Yes. The Russian general who told you we have biowarfare labs in the Ukraine. It's true. I mean, that's what I heard. It's right. true. I would suggest you watch it yourself. You decide. Well, I actually haven't but, pulled up. We can, we'll jump into that next. We can oh, fabulous. Yeah. But, but what I thought was interesting, if you look at all the disclosure that there has been on the Pentagon website about biowarfare research in the Ukraine, you know, funded by the United States, mm-hmm. you could see why she couldn't lie. There's too much publicly disclosed right. documentation because they're using taxpayers' money to basically fund these operations. And I think there's real questions, you know, now that we've read the book on, on Fauci by Kennedy mm-hmm. and, and we see the power and the money behind this global network that's poisoning people. I think there are real questions about how does that ne- network relate to what these guys were doing in the Ukraine? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's hard not to see that parallel, at least the possibility of it. And I, I think it's, but the game they're playing in the at least the Western press right now is by trying to conflate or actually differentiate between bio lab and and bio warfare research or even just research in general. Uh, they're actually trying to argue in many Western outlets that a bio lab by the funded by the U.S. doesn't exist because they're trying to conflate bio lab with weapon, and that's not not, not necessarily the same thing. Even okay, though, but let's talk money. Mm-hmm. So so what the Chinese have you know because the chinese have jumped in and been very strong here in support of what the russians are saying if if what the chinese say is true which is there are 30 installations do you have any idea what a big investment it is to buy or build 30 lab buildings populate them fund them get them going 30 is not a small number, right? Right? Can you imagine, uh, you know, imagine having 30 biowarfare labs in Texas. Okay. <laughs> right. That's so, right. But, but here's something else. This is a country that last year had a per capita income of $1,400. Wow. Imagine putting 30 biowarfare labs in a country that is economically imploding and has an average income of $1,400. Does that sound safe to you? Right. And clearly it's not. I mean, the argument of any of these, even in locations you might argue would be safe, have been historically shown not to be like Fort Detrick, for example. One of their last admissions was one leak every three days for seven years. And this is talking about you know, coronaviruses and anthrax. And that's where that story comes from. So in a place like that, I think it's pretty absurdly concerning <laughs> that you're that you're putting things like that but then we also have the work of people like Delania and and plenty of other people speaking uh, covering what people in Georgia for instance have been speaking out about or even a documentary right. I play around Fort Detrick it's obvious that there is problems around these kind of labs whether they claim to be looking into vaccine research or not um I, I wanted to bring this up before we jump into that just to recognize the, the crossover before between the concerning conversations around the Russian Ukraine conversation, but also the connection of Russia itself into the larger thing here that we keep discussing, which I think is interesting at the very least. Right. 
But right. on top of that, that weirdly enough, just today or yesterday, I saw it reported that World Economic Forum is freezes all relations with Russia and Putin, which maybe you could comment on that. If you have any thoughts, I found that to be an interesting transition. You know, all I know is that right after the invasion, if you went into Putin's page on the World Economic Forum, it was suddenly a 404. <laughs> Very interesting. And I, I wonder, I mean, that could just as simply be something, you know, meant. So, to- so let me but- tell you why. Um, the great reset that Schwab promotes, and again, to me, it's just sort of a marketing bubble of the going direct reset, is a proposal to destroy national and individual sovereignty. And what Russia continually insists on is sovereignty, national sovereignty. And then when Putin talks about moral issues and cultural issues, he talks about individual sovereignty or certain human rights. Mm -hmm. So there is a fundamental disagreement between both the Chinese and the Russians and the desire to end national sovereignty. Interesting. And so you feel like there, so this could be the lower level kind of d- divide that is underneath the agreement of the larger agenda. Like it's just one of the things I keep, it does seem like there is a lower level. So, so there is a, there is a tension on the issue of national sovereignty and there is a tension. Uh, you know, right now we see Mr. Global, my nickname for the people, the committee that runs the world. We see Mr. Global trying to, uh, pit the country leadership against the population. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they want the population to take out the country leadership, sort you know, and save. Yeah, to work. <laughs> right. And, and so uh, what we see is the Russians saying, okay, we want sovereignty and, and we don't want, you know, we don't want that pitting of the country leadership against the people and vice versa. So, so, but the other thing we say is you have the many nations in the BRIC nation saying, we're tired of being harvested by the dollar system. We want liquidity outside the dollar system. We want to reduce our exposure to the dollar system. Right. And that's part, you know, you you can describe that as a separate phenomena or part of this. Uh, because part of the Great Reset is the people who run the dollar system wanting to assert more control, not less. Right. And right. that's uh, one of the things we always point out is the and this is why the groups like China and Russia are pulling away from it, because that's how the U.S. government applies that manipulation financially by using sanctions because they're the tied to the dollar. So I would argue that insulating themselves from it would uh, free them up from that. Right. Kind of but, attack. Uh, but I think you have to be very careful to not necessarily assume that Russia and China are the good guys. Oh, yeah. In, in remote, right. That's the thing we're always pointing out is that my opinion is not necessarily good, bad. You know, it's more so agendas and what they're trying to vie for. And it seems that in certain cases, it's just simply a disagreement on where it should go, not that one is good or bad. Right. Well, another way to look at this is, you know, for hundreds of years, the G7 nations have basically supported and subsidized their lifestyle by exploiting the second and third world. Mm-hmm. And now with globalization, we're all looking around and saying, okay, who's going, who's going to generate, you know, who can we harvest now? Mm-hmm. Right. You're ready to put that. <laughs> right. And so we either move to a win-win economic model or, you know, some chair has got to get pulled in the great game of musical chairs. So right now, uh, you know, they're deciding not to move to win-win, but to just, 
ratchet and double down on win lose. And, and, and right now we're, you know, there's a game of musical chairs, who's going to be the winner and who's going to be the loser. And as the multipolar model emerges, whether it's reset or not, who's, who's going to be at the table. So part of this is just pure politics around who's going to be at the table. Very interesting. Now, so back, back to the biolab part of this discussion. So how, how do we see this tying in, in regard to that the over the larger agenda, right? I mean, I, I keep I keep focusing on the Great Reset discussion or going direct reset from the beginning of it, and how does the bio lab and and seemingly the way the so, U.S. and Ukraine are going back and forth tie into that? So I'm going to take this to a very high level. Okay, something started in the '90s when we couldn't broker the budget deal in 1995. Something started called the Great Poisoning, where we literally started dramatically reducing the health of the population. So we had GMOs introduced. We had spraying introduced. We had more pesticides, and it goes on and on. And we implemented a heavy schedule of vaccinations with uh, indemnification to the pharmaceutical companies. You know, and now uh, we have 54% of the children in America have chronic disease. I have one pediatrician who insists it's 70%. She says most of the kids can't afford to get tested. So, you know, so the 54% is unnaturally low because they can't afford to be tested. We have IQs falling in ways which are absolutely frightening. I mean, we're talking about the IQs on some American children falling to a level for kids. You know, nobody can function in a global competitive society with IQs falling like that. So so you're literally talking about what looks to me like a long-term depopulation poisoning. Wow. Um, and, and one of the things that contributes to that poisoning are addictions like sugar, tobacco, liquor, drugs, you know, but then literally we have poisonings. So, you know, the COVID-19 injections have absolutely poisoned millions of people. I mean, seriously poisoned. And um, I don't know if you've seen Dr. Mark Skidmore's latest survey. I read it this morning, actually. I was watching your previous interview. It's pretty pretty damning. And, and you know, but this is really, uh, it's funny. I got very interested in this, Ryan, because during the, um, uh, during the litigation, I was poisoned a series of eight times. Hmm. And... Um, I did a lot of studying around all, you know, sort of what happened and how it happened. And and one of the things I discovered is a much more common covert tactic than I had ever known or realized. Um, you know, poisoning is a very big deal. And that's why all this. So I think the number one estimate I saw, I think from the Chinese is 330 Biolabs globally, is that right? I mean, it sounds. It's. I mean, I, the number I've seen different from a lot of different locations, but it doesn't definitely seems that there's far more than they're admitting for sure. I have a, some images from the DoD we can pull up as well. Well, but that that now we're talking about a network globally of 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 you know of infrastructure. That, you know, if somebody is not doing what they're told can be literally poisoned. Right, right. And that, this is what plenty of people in Georgia and places are speaking out about, even if that's a right. byproduct that it's happening all the time. 
would you, I, I'm very interested to hear in regard to what you're speaking of, of the times that you're saying that you were, that you were poisoned. Can you elaborate on that? I find that to be really interesting. So, you know, there are many different stories and you only know what happens to you. You're always short of intelligence about what, what just really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you, I'll give you one example. I had a beautiful mansion, little mansion in um, right in downtown Washington near DuPont Circle. And uh, I was very wealthy and successful. And then this enemy of the state thing started and it was just wild. You know, people are breaking into your house. They're leaving dead rats on the doorstep. You're being followed in the car. You're being followed when you walk on the street. You know, they're, they're approaching your family. They're threatening your family. I mean, it's very unbelievable. It's wild. It's just like the movie enemy of the state. Anyway. So I, I'm one of those people who believes, look, whatever's going on, there's some guy who's lived through it before who can explain to me what's happening and teach me how to win, right? Mm-hmm. So so I tried to hire three different private intelligence companies to help me with security. And the, they would come and they would interview and they'd be interested because it looked like I was very wealthy. And then they would say, oh, no, it's too dangerous. No. You know, and you're thinking, wow. it's too dangerous. What? What are you talking about? Your job. So the, the third the third group came in and they brought this real skinny kind of preppy looking guy and they said he's a biological warfare expert. I thought, why why do I need a biological warfare expert? Wow. And he said, he said, look, lady, they're gonna drill holes in your wall. It was a brick house. He said, they're gonna drill holes in your wall and introduce low grade biological warfare. And I looked at him like, you know, because I was very prominent, successful. You know, I was a new zoo in America. I didn't think it could happen to me. Anyway, so so um, they also turned the job down. They said, look, there's too much risk for us. There are wow. too many. We don't want to be associated. They're leaving. And this guy, he turns and he looks at me and he looks like he feels so sorry for me. Like I got no chance of making it through this. So he comes up to me. He says, lady, do me a favor buy birds. I said, birds, buy birds. Why buy birds? He says, if the birds die, get out of the house. Wow. Anyway, so about Incredible. a couple months later, I was on a treadmill. I started a process started <coughs> where I would literally have a flu or a cold all the time. And whenever it started to get better, bam, it would start again. And it felt very junky and synthetic. It didn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the treadmill one day on the first floor and, and I look at the wall and I realize, Oh my God, there are holes in the wall. Somebody has drilled holes in the wall. And I thought, and um, you know, one of the reasons I left Washington is the birds used to get sick and fall off the perch. And I said, okay, it's not safe. So, well, here's what I discovered. And I write about this. I have an online book called Dylan Reed and the aristocracy of stock profits, where I talk about it because I thought, you know, look, it's so much cheaper to just kill me. Why are they, hmm. you know, I estimated by the time it was over that they spent $45 million, you know, torturing me and trying to make me weak or fail. Or, And I finally realized, not, it's one, it's a huge business. You know, taxpayers pay for people to be surveilled, harassed, hmm. litigated against. You know, and they make you they can make a lot more money keeping me alive than just killing me. You kill me and then it's over. Whereas you keep me alive, it's a it's a you know, I I was 
all of us are job programs. Right. Anyway, it's so, a business, yeah. really, when you think about it. I mean, that's it was a huge point. business, huge, just <laughs> huge. Anyway, so, 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 but, the, but they needed me to look like I failed. Right. So weakening somebody is infinitely better than killing them. Mm-hmm. And so that's we- why I think, I think a lot of, a lot of this sort of bio warfare, including low grade biological warfare and the non-lethal weaponry, non-lethal weaponry is a whole nother conversation. All of this stuff is designed to weaken your enemy and target your enemy, but not kill your enemy. Right. All right. And that, and that's exactly the point today is it seems that now the American people have maybe always are now the enemy or the focus focal point of this direction, at least from with them talking specifically to the U.S. government, but I argue that's happening around the world and not just well, but communication. October 1995, the budget deal busted. And two things happened the next month. The predatory lending started with an uproar and the FDA approved OxyContin. Hmm. And the predatory wow. lending and the, and the pill mills hit and targeted the same neighborhoods. That because here's the thing: if you can't get a financially responsible deal on the budget, you have only one other way of balancing the budget, and that's to bring down life expectancy. Wow, I mean, it's just so horrific to realize that how you know these are very clear things that you can. Sh- I mean, people, the idea that we would assume that that's something that is outside the realm of possibility because, well, they're good people or they're fighting for you or they represent the America. It's just a naive standpoint. These are things that have been shown. Look at just simple war situations. Governments will take action that put people's lives in danger and take those lives for the continuation of an agenda. So the argument to put that there to say that this is trying so, to make money for what they're trying so, to achieve. So now, is now, I'm gonna be, now I'm going to be a bad guy. Go for it. Because if you look at the financial issues in Washington, D.C., the American people were absolutely clear politically that it was okay for the leadership to go kill millions of people as long as they got a piece of the action. Hmm. And as long as they got the subsidy and a story, the story, I call it the story of I am good. They would go along for all the genocide as long as they got a piece of the action and got a story about why they're good Christians and they weren't doing it. Right. So, so the leadership You know, you had many people in the leadership for decades who argued for the responsible moral thing, and they got absolutely not sufficient support from the body politic. Now, I'm not trying to blame it on everybody, but we have to take responsibility for what's been going on. We're all part of this. Mm -hmm. So and if we're going to change, you know, real solutions come by looking in the mirror and saying, you know, we let this get this bad. We let the criminals get away with incredible things for decades. Exactly. Right. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And and you know, one of these things to bring it back to the the bio lab discussion. This is the image I was discussing. Is is the allowance of this to proliferate throughout the world? And that's not just the American people, but you know, we're the American people are the ones that are being apathetic around, or rather, being manipulated to not pay attention to things just like this. Now, I wanted to bring this back into the conversation of the bio labs. 
before we roll into uh, the rollback of these things. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've seen De- Delanya's work. She's been doing outstanding work, and she put these documents out. Around. I haven't. I haven't read them yet. I know that they've been published, but I haven't read them yet. Well, yeah, they've actually been published after this by the Russian government as well from another source. But it ultimately boils down to the fact that you can see that this was, if, if these documents are correct, and it does seem that they are, that they were told. And by the way, Victoria Newland's comments seem to back this up that they were told to start getting rid of stuff, destroying things because it was going to be dangerous. So I wanted to start off with a point to make sure we can discuss the biolab versus what's happening today. Here's what the U.S. government says on the record about what's happening there. And we can listen to Victoria Newland's comments as well. It says this is from April 22nd, 2020. The U.S. Department of Defense's biosecurity program is working in Ukraine with the Ukrainian government to ensure consolidated and secure storage of pathogens and threatening toxins. So right out of the gate, whether they want to call it biolab or research or whatever, that's the same thing we saw with the gain of function you know, the way they've done in the past. and the, But then it goes on to make it very clear that they are doing gain of function. It says in relevant government agencies, so that peaceful research and vaccines can be conducted. So this, this, this the cat's out of the bag on the whole vaccine narrative, right? I mean, they're, the only way that is done is by increasing the, the virulence, the dangerous nature of these, and then creating a vaccine for the idea of protecting us against it. So just, it's very clear on the record that that's what was happening there. And now the mainstream Western press is just, spinning out trying to argue that that's not what's happening. So if you have any comments on that, then I'll, I'll play the uh, the clips. So I would encourage everyone to see uh, Charlie Ferguson's documentary on Iraq called, I think it's No Exit in Sight mm-hmm. or No End in Sight. It's No Exit in Sight or No End in Sight because it shows you, it gives you a good feeling for the neocons. And the neocons are people that I don't trust to run a network of bio hmm. research, you know, biowarfare labs. I argue they shouldn't you be know, in existence today, quite honestly, no matter who's running them. That's my well, opinion. Well, I think there's a, a great argument that you're right. But if they do exist, you want them under adult supervision. Right. And unfortunately, what I will tell you in my dealings with the neocons as a as a political appointee in Washington and and you know sort of watching and dealing with them in geopolitics, these people are not adults. They that you cannot trust them to manage this level and this kind of risk. And you know, it's why I say I think the neocons have destroyed the American brand. And um and one of the questions I have is why has the American political establishment, you know, accepted this, tolerated, let this happen? These people are nuts. So let's watch Newland because Newland is absolutely a one of them. And it's great to see her cornered and admitting this because if I were her, I'd be scared too. Right. Well, and, and this admission, which is what it really is, comes after the Western press had gone for two days straight arguing that biolabs didn't exist, even though we're looking at a document that proves that they did. Well, but let me ask you a question. Are the Russians going to get a hold of the bank records in the Ukraine just to show how much Newland and her friends are making on all of this? Right. Well, the, the way that the system works today is it wouldn't matter because the Russian government says it, therefore fake news. So it, it just gets dismissed without any due diligence. Well, except for this, except for this. I mean, no Western media is going to accept anything Russia says under the circumstances. But when China comes in and backs them up, mm-hmm. let alone India or other, you know, other other countries come in and back them up. I mean, China is one point three billion people. India is one point four billion people. 
that's 2.7 billion people. Um, that's a big part of the world. Yeah. You can't, you know, the Shrika meter can't control the narrative when 2.7 billion people say, oh, what the Russians are saying is true. Right. You know, that opens up the discussion. I agree so, with you. But I'm, we know that they will sure, sure try sort of how they just framed basically all conservatives as white supremacy. In a recent article I just saw, so half the country is being accused of, you know, it, I don't think they shy away from trying, but I think uh, you're right. I don't think they'll succeed in such a grandiose. Well, they're trying, you know, they've tried several things to make the domestic terrorism meme go mm-hmm. and it won't go. So now the latest one is to say you're pro-Russian, therefore you're domestic terrorism. Right. Right. So, so yeah. So we're all struggling I mean, you've reached the point where now the Russians have thrown the Western press out of the country, essentially, by passing legislation that scared them all and got them to leave. And now we have Chinese media embedded with the Russian troops going throughout the Ukraine. So this is part of the multipolar world split. But um, I think we've reached a point where neither side trusts the other to be reasonable Mm -hmm. and... um, you know, and and the reality is, uh, you know, so far the Russians are winning militarily, but the Shrika meter is, is winning the PR game, not because anything they say is logical or rational, but because, you know, they've got the volume turned on the loudest by far. Right, right. And that just shows you that control that the media apparatus does still have over the perception of the majority or the narrative. Let, let's take a listen to two clips I have from uh, Newland. Uh, and it, basically a similar response, but from two different points. And it's interesting that the, the notes given. So let's watch the first one. As uh, biological research facilities, which in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. Research materials, that you want to comment on that? <laughs> you know, she, she is walking a thin line between covering up and not committing a felony. Mm-hmm. That's what you watch. But the thing I find very interesting about watching it uh if, if you know anything about Victoria Newland, she strikes me. That's the scaredest I've ever seen her. She's Good scared. Yeah, she I is agree. really scared. And the question is, you know, what is she afraid of? And she's afraid of, uh, I don't know if she's afraid of going to, I don't know what she thinks the intelligence, the Russians could ditch out on her and her, her pals, but she I, and her pals are in real trouble. I would argue it's it's that somebody in her position is well aware that somebody in her position is exactly who would be the one thrown under the bus if they get in a bad spot. And so that, in her mind, she's probably worried that that I, I mean, I, I've been arguing that I was expecting Fauci himself to be thrown out to be like, well, he's the because re- you've realized how they've sort of tried to pin this whole thing on his back like it's just Fauci and just China. So if it had to, they could throw that out and be like, yep, it was Fauci. When we, now the bad apple's out of the way. I think someone in her position is probably concerned about that. That'd be that'd be my personal thought on it. Oh, I think her concerns are much bigger. Probably. You're probably right. <laughs> well, let's watch the second one. And then I also wanted to play a quick thing from uh, a, an old video just where it her, she's on record discussing the election of Ukraine and how that works. But let's listen to the next one. 
Um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. No, no, that's called government technique. <laughs> that's what governments do, but it's just... So Rubio, Rubio saved her. Oh, explain. That was, that, was a, that was a very elegant save by Rubio. To, to, to what, give her an out for what she said before? Uh, to try and save the situation from the fact that she had absolutely confirmed that all the fact checkers were lying. Got I it. mean, basically what she did, and she certainly didn't mean to, she was just trying to avoid one. She was scared, which is unheard of for Victoria Newland, but, but, but two, she was trying not to commit a felony. Right. And, and she knows there's too much disclosure up, you know, in public to, to, to try and lie on this one. So, but what she did was basically say what the Russians said is true and the fact checkers are lying. Right. I, I love how they try to force in the, you know, 100% certain of something that we are subjectively discussing. You know, it's like it's the whole Putin's playbook argument. Of course, they're capable of it. Of course, they could, you know, the history. I just, it frustrates me how quickly we're willing to put down a subjective argument about his intentions and yet simultaneously argue that they don't know what he's thinking when they don't want to get into a topic. It's just very frustrating how willfully dishonest all sides of this are being around, which is what always happens, but it's very clear today. So here's the thing. If you, if you look at a record, uh, you know, we've been trying to create since, since 2001 and 2002, when we canceled the missile treaty, we've been trying to create a first strike capacity against Russia. Russia has said, if you move NATO any further to our borders or try and create a first strike capacity, we will do this. Now, you know, if we created this biolab capacity, if the Russians had created this biolab capacity in Mexico, we would have invaded Mexico a long time ago. That's just how it works. But in the meantime, you know, whatever's going on, the, the Russians were literally backed into doing this. They didn't want to do it. And they were backed into doing this. And the question is, why? Why was it done at this time? Why is Biden running around assuring everybody that, um, you know, we, we will never get involved militarily? I mean, it looks to me like he's saying to all the, all the investors, okay, you want to buy big equity positions on the Silk Road? Here's your chance. Right. You know, so, so this is a major manipulation. The, one of the best videos of the week, I don't know if you saw it, was Bryce Mitchell. Did you see Bryce Mitchell? I don't think so. Go, go ahead and, uh, uh, and try and look for it. So he's the he's the WFC fighter from Arkansas. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm, I'm not familiar with the name, but I, I know. Uh, I can try and find it real quick for you. Go ahead. I'll try and, oh yes, I, I actually do know who he is. He. Oh, I remember he spoke up very, you know, reasonably eloquently on uh, the question about whether he would. Go ahead. He, he, would, better, he would fight to protect Arkansas, but he's yes. not going all the way to Ukraine. He has no idea what it's about, just that Hunter Biden and the Biden family is making a lot of money. <laughs> for him. Well, but it, what was interesting is here's a guy who tells you he doesn't understand geopolitics. But if you listen to his description of what's going on there or what he understands, it's one of the best descriptions of what's going on. <laughs> And, and you would, and someone who claims to not have any insight on it seems to be far more on aware than the people lost in the two party paradigm, which is quite interesting to me. Um, right. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, do you have another point on that? No, did you find it? Uh, well, I, I was able to. I couldn't find the video really quickly. I did grab this one. Uh, Evil has taken over America. I can try to find it real quick if you'd like to play it. Let's see. Yeah, let's see if um, he was on. Tucker. Oh, I, it's right here. It's right here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here it goes. Oh, except uh, it's them playing it. Let me just get past them speaking. Here we go. Thoughts on the whole Russia and Ukraine situation? You know, um, here's my first thought is I'm not going nowhere to fight none of these wars for these politicians. I'm staying at home. And when the war comes to Arkansas, I will dig my boots in the ground and I will die for everything I love. And I will not retreat. If this country is invaded and everybody's saying, well, we got to we got to evacuate. We got to leave. We got I will not. I will dig my boots in the Arkansas soil and I will fight for the people that I love, for the land that I love and the way of life that I love. But I'm not going overseas to fight. I don't know what's going on, to be honest, brother. I really don't. There's so much stuff. And I don't think nobody knows what's going on fully. There's been so much political corruption in that area. You got Biden and his son making a shit ton of money off of uh, and using our tax dollars to bribe their people. That's treasonous, in my opinion. Uh, so you got Hunter Biden and his son using our tax dollars. Hey, if if Ukrainian government, if you don't do this, we're taking your tax dollars. He shouldn't be giving our tax dollars to that country anyway. We got veterans out here sleeping on the street and you're going to give our freaking tax dollars to these Ukrainians. And all the, I, brother, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm not going over there and fighting. And God bless anybody that's over there that's fighting. And I hope that this shit just gets solved. And man, I don't like war. You know what I mean? I don't want people dying and all that stuff. I don't want to be, but I don't know what's going on. There's so much stuff that I think that's corrupted that we just don't know what's truly going on over there. And I just, I pray all those people are safe. See, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, would say that's a pretty clear description of what we absolutely. know. And, 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 and this was, this was spoken before they ended up deciding to send $14 billion more in aid. So he's absolutely right. Right. Just sending your tax dollars over there. For an illusion, really. I mean, what, the point is there's really stuff happening, but he's right that from all sides of this, which is always what happens in these kind of situations, people are trying to deceive and lie, and yet the, they just choose a narrative and they run with it. It's it's very interesting to me. Well, if you look at what's happened to the per capita income in the Ukraine while we've been there, making a mess. Right. Well, you that's know. what always seems to happen. I mean, this is the argument I make about, you know, s- destroying countries. As long as you scream freedom, I guess it's okay. You know, Libya and Syria and Iraq, you know, just continues. So this is the technical oh. assistance project for yeah. one of the laboratories. I was I was going to bring this one up next in regard to, so this is specifically yeah. Kharkiv Diagnostic Laboratory, but there's a, right. there's a bunch of these. And this is the only one I was able to actually find the Wayback Machine version. By the way, it's completely gone. You find the link, it's, it's no longer there on the website uh, right, from, 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 the UK, from the U.S. government. 
But here's yeah. what it says in the important part that shows you that they're lying, even within the admission they made. The donor is very clearly listed as the Department of Defense. So they paid for this. And the bottom line is it says right here, permit for working with pathogens to be obtained, not holding them and being keeping them safe, but working with them. And the total cost being you know, millions of dollars. And, and I think this is directly challenged by what they're saying in their fact checks. And here, and this is directly, as you can see from the, uh, you know, it says the, where's the actual link state.gov website, you know, it's, it's verifiable. Right. right. So just, if you have any comments, I just want to make sure people saw. What year did they put this out? Uh, this, this says right here that it was the commission on September 23rd, 2011. Uh, but I know that there's plenty of other examples of other. I, the reason I focus specifically on the Kharkiv one is because I, I, in my research, that one has stood out to me as one of the more the focal points. So was Clinton Secretary of the State? Uh, wait, 2011. Uh, go, if you go ahead and look it up, you're going to make sure before I guess. Yeah, I'm going to look. But I mean, the, the, the important part for them, everyone to remember is the yeah, current- so Clinton, Clinton was Secretary of the State. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, there's, they, but the, the, this has been continued. And I want people to always think about that from before, you know, th- through the, through yeah, multiple so, administrations. So this anthrax guy went there in 2007. Right, right. So, so, this yeah, so this is, the, yeah. And it's interesting to see the timing of this and when this was established and going into, I mean, even just the narrative around all of this, like you pointed out, this long before even, there have been building this idea this entire time. And remember 2014 was the regime change, which I, I, I played that plenty of times. The idea is very clearly on the record. We have Newland discussing that they're going to manipulate who's going to be elected. We have the Estonian minister discussing uh, with a member of the U S government that they knew that it was the snipers from the U S backed government that were shooting people and that they knew that didn't talk about it. I mean, there's an obvious cover up around this discussion. And I think this was an obvious potential example of why they were trying to hide what was happening there or control it. So, Maybe they were go ahead. So let's talk about why China, India, Russia are behaving the way they're behaving in this situation. The reason they're behaving, one of the reasons they're behaving the way they're behaving, the Russians don't want first strike capacity, which could be created if they're if they move missile launchers into the Ukraine or if the Ukraine joins NATO. So so they've been very clear about that. But the other thing is, and this gets me back to the neocons and why everybody should watch that Charlie Ferguson documentary. You know, the I was brought up to believe as a high school student that the Romans, when they invaded and conquered countries, brought ridges, bridges brought roads, brought technology, brought education. You know, you could like or dislike their methods, but they upgraded civilization as they went. Mm-hmm. We have had a record since the Soviet wall went down and the unipolar model sort of blossomed of bringing chaos and destruction. Right. If you look what we did to Libya, if you look at what we've done to Syria, if you look at so many of these examples, you have to understand around the world, there is a deep paranoia, you know, that what we are going to bring is organized crime. Exactly. And, and when you do, if you study what was done to Libya, it is frightening because we're talking about bringing the end of civilization. Civilization can stop. And this is what the neocons have done. They have promoted the end of civilization in country after country. And the reality is there is a point at which, you know, the body politic is going to turn and say no more. Because without law, there is no civilization. Without civilization, 
nothing has any value and you descend into chaos. So, uh, you know, without going into the specifics of the Ukraine, America has a house cleaning. And one of the reasons I'm hoping Newland is nervous is uh, their extraordinary leadership of the unipolar model has failed. And so now is the opportunity for the American political establishment to do a house cleaning. I don't know that they are going to, but if they don't, they're in even more serious trouble than they're in. Would you, wouldn't, would you argue that the potentially the body politic is already seeing that shift that the, the general people are beginning to recognize more than they ever have, that this is not what's actually happening and that they're just trying to get, like, it feels like this has been pushed aggressive, like too fast. Like they're, they're tripping over themselves trying to rush this in. And maybe that's why, what what do you think about that? You know, I just don't know enough about what's going on internally to know. Um, I think, you know, the experience so far is they have a lot of confidence in the shriek meter to kind of brainwash and mind control people. They have a lot of faith in their technology um, in and around propaganda brainwashing. If you go into Solari and do a search for mind control, you'll get a commentary where we put together the best links on how, um, you know, whether for consumer goods or political purposes or investment, I first came to it through investment, how, how mind, these are the best links I've found on how sort of mind control works and how to protect yourself. And um, I just think they have a lot of confidence in that technology. And um, as they, you know, as they push it, it's, it's a little bit like Leonard Cohen. They were blinded by the beauty of their weapons. As they push it, you're watching more and more very intelligent, experienced, knowledgeable people say, uh-uh. And, and the reason they're saying, uh, uh, you know, for example, doctors and scientists, what they understand is a civilization cannot succeed with an infrastructure of fake science. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, the satellites fall out of the sky and the bridges fall down if, if your science is driven by politics and not by science. Right. And, and we're watching all across the professional classes – highly intelligent, capable people realize this anti-civilization thing, you know, fake news, fake science, fake medicine, fake, a society can't last. We're talking about the end of civilization. And legitimately. And I think that's what people need to recognize is this is kind of this transhumanist direction that seems to be forced in. It really is literally counter to humanity. Now, to, to bring this into the idea of the COVID-19 conversation, and this is an example of what you're talking about, I agree, to a smaller degree, that people are aware, I think, that this is not making sense. But th- So this is ca- talking about the living with COVID or this rollback of these restrictions that, as we pointed out, are in fact increasing. But people don't seem to be buying it. It seems that a lot of people are very aware of this. But so where do you, what do you think is really happening here? And, and tie this together with what we were just talking about. So, so the notion of living with COVID is a notion of trying to find uh, an explanation for what I call the great poisoning. So you have a deterioration of health. You have a deterioration of IQ. You have a deterioration, you know, of people literally dying. And it's from many parts of the great poisoning. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to explain it away as one simple thing. And of course, it's not one simple thing. But, you know, a lot of what people call COVID 
is in fact vaccine injury from the COVID-19 injections. 100%. Right. And, and so, you know, but they're trying to call it a variant or they're trying to call it long COVID. They've got all these sort of dissembling excuses. Um, and I think it's not working. I, I just I think too many, um, if you look at the Skidmore survey, we did before, before he did the survey with the survey company <coughs> to polish the survey and test it, we put it out to the Solari update list. And when it came back, he got about 12, 2,500 responses in the first two or three days. It was quite remarkable because it was a long survey. It was hard to fill out. The Appendix C in his survey that he published is the responses to one question at the end of the survey where he says to people, how many people do you know who are harmed by the COVID injection? First, he asks a whole lot of questions about COVID. Then he asks a whole lot of questions about uh, the injection so, so after the response of, you know, I, I know these many people are harmed by the injections. He said, okay, think of the person, you know, the best. So of all the people, you know, harmed, think of the person you really know the best in one sentence, say what happened. And so in this form, you get thousands of one sentences of what happened. And I never used the word genocide until I read that. And when I read it, I realized this is a genocide because when you see thousands of heart attacks, stroke, death, fast acting cancer, Bell's palsy, neurological damage, can't stop shaking, stroke, you know, myocarditis, pericarditis, and it just goes on and on and on for page after page after page. You just, it's, it's almost impossible to believe that there hasn't been a revolution yet. I agree. Well, and, and this is what people are actually living with. Now, w- would you argue that this is the whole, uh, the whole living with COVID or really just the idea of this false rollback of it when we're talking about how it's clearly still happening? Do you think this was the original concept or is this because people were hyper aware of what was happening and they're just trying to pause it because people are too kind of hip to what's going on? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the progression of that and how it so, may eventually connect with the Great I Reset? Think, I think there was tremendous pushback against the mandates and they were about to, you know, it was it was about to go out of control and go viral. And so they dialed it back and instead went to work on launching the control grid. They learned a lot and they're re-engineering because once they know they get the financial transaction control grid in place, they can roll out as many mandates as they want. So why push the mandates when you can just push and get the financial control grid in place and then you can insist on whatever mandates you want. So that's a great point. backing off at all. I think they're working on getting a permanent mandate machinery in place. It's funny you say that. I completely agree. I was just thinking about this the other day that right now we're in this, you know, as they're using the emergencies, which have, by the way, been here since 9-11, the opioid crisis. We have emergencies, states of emergencies that are always kind of there. But now we're at a point where they're 
normalizing the idea of saying, because it's an emergency, we're going to initiate a mandate, no vote, no process, and that's going to become law. And we're almost at a point where they're not even really pointing to the emergency anymore. They're just continuing to ma- lay out mandates and people accept it. So it's, it's, a, it's only a short period of time before we just lose connection with the idea that the emergency is why they can even do that. There's going to mandate, mandate, mandate. We're not, we're going to, I think we're past the illusion, which has always been an illusion in my mind of this democratic process. What do you think about that? So to me, the important thing is it's time to go to work on building the local food, local energy and transaction systems we need. Absolutely. It doesn't matter really why the establishment is doing what they're doing because we either get the 21 trillion back in the United States or we go to a much more self-reliant living, you know, that that's it. Those are the choices. And if you look at what's going to happen with inflation over the next year, you know, we've got to get radical about building personal and local resiliency and working with our state and local leaders because that's where the war that decides what happens to us is going to be fought. Mm-hmm. So whether they're cutting back because they have a gun to their head, they're cutting back because they don't know what else to do. They're cutting back because that's what the central bankers are taking. You know, whatever the reason they're doing what they're doing, they're going to try and assert central control. And the only way they're not going to be able to is if we stop them and we can't stop them unless we're standing on solid ground. I agree. And, 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 And crossing these illusions of party lines, I think, is one of the biggest detriments to that. You know, if we if we are always divided amongst ourselves, I argue it's impossible to actually resist anything. Well, although, you know, having worked in Washington, when I when I ran Hamilton, we always had uh, one less than 50 people because we never wanted to. You know, that's the target where you have to start doing all these different compliance plans. So we tried Mm. to the the employee shareholders down to 49 and then we would subcontract and hire contractors. Anyway, I did a survey in 1995 and it turned out 25 of the people had come to Washington as members of the Republican party and 24 had come as Democrats or vice versa. I forget one was 24, one was 25 and everyone described themselves as independent or other. (laughs) (laughs) So now I am hoping for a Republican landslide in the fall. I am. And one of the reasons is you have far more strength in the Republican side to support the Second Amendment and and to support, you know, sort of not having health mandates. I would agree. I would agree with that, but I'm very concerned that that's more of a hollow gesture. I just, I, I'm call me, call me a par- you know, pessimistic, but I just have no faith in the process of either side of the political spectrum. But I agree with that. I, seems on the surface, I, to be clear. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. But I will spend a great deal of time and money stopping a constitutional convention and protecting the Second Amendment because those two things stand between us and the abyss. You take them down. We're toast. I agree. We are just toast. And if if we're toast in America, globally, a lot more people are toast. I would agree. And I think this is a perfect transition into what I think is one of the first steps into this control grid structure, the financial control grid, which you've been doing a lot of great work on. President Biden signs the executive order to ensuring responsible development of, of course, the way they frame responsible development of digital assets. Uh Uh-huh. 
so this is something that I, I was reviewing today and really just kind of wanted to point out a couple of quick points in here and get your thoughts on it. Um, and it really, it, I don't, what my opinion always of the way that they present the public overview of what they're doing is, is what, here's what we want you to think about this. Like, I don't ever think what they're saying in here is the reality. Go ahead. Keep talking. I'm just going to lean okay. over and get something. I, um, I just never think this is the reality of what's actually going on. I always think that they're talking points or what it's really the way they want you to perceive it. So I'll read this first part. It says the rise in digital assets creates an opportunity to reinforce American leadership. So right out of the gate, I'm like, well, is that what people want around the world? You know, in, in the global financial system and the technological frontier, but also has substantial implications for consumer protection, like, cause they care about you, financial stability, national security, and climate risk. I want your thoughts on what that would mean. The United States must maintain technological leadership in this rapidly growing space, which there's the point, supporting innovation while mitigating the risk for consumers, businesses, and the broader financial system and the climate, again. And it must play a leading role in the international engagement and global governance of digital assets. So basically, they want control over how this works. And don't miss at the end, consistent with democratic values and U.S. global competitiveness. So before I put my thoughts on it, what, what do you think about that? So these are just... You know, how do you market control? And and these are just different ways of marketing more control and more central control. Um, what's interesting, if you look at some of the proposals on climate change, this has gone the, you know, COVID has given them the central bank's ability to print lots of money and give it to their friends. You know, Mark Carney's talking about 150 billion, no, 150 trillion wow. of green bonds for climate change. So, you know, one way to have control is just to, you know, exercise a digital control grid. Another is to just print $150 trillion, give it to your friends, and then let everybody else eat the inflation, which is what is happening now. Right. We're eating the COVID inflation. As they blame it on Putin right now, which is just absurd, despite half most of it happening before this ever began. I, I don't understand how people buy this stuff, to be honest. <laughs> well, because it's so frightening if... You know, it, it, we always, it, it, it is very frightening to look at what's really happening to me, you know, with, I mean, if you look at what happened on COVID-19, the bankers printed a lot of money, gave it to their pals while they shut down our businesses. So the people with the free money, the monopoly money could buy us and our assets for cheap. It's a very Ryan. And they could publicly undermine their own business model because they had lots of money that made that okay. I, I made this point. Hey, actually, this is a great, I wanted to ask you this as, as somebody with a great financial mind, would you, I, the idea that shareholders would be okay with gigantic companies openly undermining their business model. And in fact, taking actions that hurt their, their profit. I don't understand how that would ever even be allowed or possible unless they knew there was money coming from somewhere else. So that was scary because we saw um, we saw literally major corporations act against the best interest of their shareholders to do corporate mandates. Right. And it was frightening. And, and so you watch an airline that is doing things that could cause their pilots to stroke out in the middle of a flight and is jeopardizing airline safety that that's not interest in the interests of corporate shareholders. Right. So, so, you know, um, the, there are, you know, allegations existing that, that people in senior positions have contracts. And we used to see this with, with companies that got a lot of government subsidy or contracts 
is that literally the the intelligence agencies, the Department of Justice felt that the company really worked for them mm-hmm. and not for the shareholders. So you get this multiple personality disorder in companies that were essentially government proprietaries. But, you know, you wonder, do these do these CEOs have contracts? Do they have control files? What's going on? Because they're working for the deep state. They are not working for the shareholders. It's well, scary. This is kind of my point, though. So as somebody as I don't understand the dynamic as well as you do. So wouldn't the shareholders oh, then be able to remove okay. the CEO? No, I'll tell you why you understand the dynamic. You've seen the James Bond movies. You know who Spectre is. Everybody's scared. They're scared they're going to get an anthrax letter. They're scared they're going to, mm. you know, their kids are going to get killed. God, you know, so, you know it's, this, it's so, so vivid and real. And I think people always forget that this part of this world, the world exists. It just doesn't get seen yeah. on the front surface. So my favorite, I, you know, I don't own a television. I don't watch television, but I watch the series after they get published. My favorite TV series of the recent offering is Yellowstone. I don't know if you ever watched yeah, Yellowstone. We talked about it last time. I actually love yeah. the, the next one too, the 1880 uh, or three. Or I, you know, one. we can't get it in Europe. It's hard. It's a it's a food fight to get it in Europe. I guess if I got a VPN, I could get it. But anyway, I told you my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes in Yellowstone. There's so many. Is when when the Dutton son corners one of the Beck brothers in the bathroom. He's killing him because he's kidnapped his kid, and they've just realized, you know, that the the Beck brothers are so corrupt and so dirty. There's no way to coexist with them. You got to kill them. Right. So so he says to him in the bathroom. He says, you know, why? Because he doesn't want to have to do this. He doesn't want to have to commit murder. He says, you know, why do you guys always play dirty? And the Beck brother guy looks at me. He says. No one ever fights back. Exactly. So, you know, we've had 50 years of not fighting back. Exactly. Now we're have to fight back. And I think this is why you begin to see some of these people that are, are being caught doing things very flagrantly and just, it's almost like they didn't expect people to see it. And, and I think that's why, because they just, nobody's been fighting back and it's, this is beginning to shift. By the way, uh, as we, before we roll into more of the, the COVID stuff where I want to give two more points, but it's interesting. You might not know in the beginning of, I think it's 1883. I might be forgetting the last number, but the new, the new series that goes, that goes, that predates the Yellowstone show. The very first episode starts with the smallpox example. And and weirdly has no connection to any other part of the entire series. I just thought that was very interesting. And I was like, well, interesting timing, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I wanted to get your thoughts on on two more of these digital. So we just, we're talking about the cryptocurrency discussion, which in a weird way leans into the cryptocurrency space as they're trying to frame it as hurting it. I think obviously the blockchain discussion is a very alarming part of this that I think is part of the control structure, which we should be very concerned about. Here is what uh, the Russian embassy in the UK put out, and which, by the way, is accurate. They, they've, the Ukrainian government spoke up about how it's digitizing its economy and going to martial law economy like a few days ago. During all of this, Ukraine has lost its cyber sovereignty, that, that, as the Russian government frames it. The country is digitally controlled, including use of foreign technologies and upon arrival by the British and the United States intelligence agencies. I wanted your thoughts on, on the way they framed that. So this is a very interesting question because, of course, we are watching sovereignty compromised all around the world with digital technology. And um, uh, and this is a space where I don't think anybody has digital sovereignty. Good point. And, um, you know, and it's important because for a government to have sovereignty, it has to have financial sovereignty and it has to have information sovereignty. And the digital systems have been used to compromise both. 
So, uh, you know, a lot of the financial fraud and, and financial theft in the U.S. government clearly worked, I believe, through the digital systems. Um, anyway, so so this is a messy topic, and I don't know anybody, I don't know of any country that's done a good job of protecting, you know, individual and national sovereignty from digital compromise. I don't think it's in any of these governments' interest to do so. And this is kind of the point that I'm talking about, like, because they, the point being is that their interest is not about protecting you or keeping you safe in my mind, but it's that oh, at this point, all of these governments recognize the outrageous power, the unfettered power that comes along with the system they're trying to build. But that doesn't mean that they don't have arguments from within and different lower level arguments as governments, as politics, right. in politics. That would just well, be the point. If you, if you look at the Huawei fight during the Trump administration, you know, basically it looked to me like the U.S. intelligence agencies were concerned that the Chinese would be able to compromise the West the way the West is trying to compromise right. everybody. Exactly. So, so, you know, we were, we were basically tendering for digital control of citizens through the telecommunications offerings. Hmm. And, and we're seeing the same kind of thing happen right now with the social media plays right now. I mean, the same thing we're seeing, I mean, TikTok and all these different groups accusing them back and forth. You know, all I think it's important we recognize that all of these, especially the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, these are these are what they look like on the surface, but they're also being used against you in a thousand different ways. And and either side sees this. So you could ra- argue that it's I mean, I don't agree with censorship at all. I never have from either side. But the right. idea is that they, you can understand why Russia or the U.S. might do that because it's being used from the other side. I mean, that's they're all like that. And it's on the surface. So it's embarrassing. They pretend like one is censorship and one's not. They're all censorship. It's very They're interesting. One of the most interesting documentaries I've ever seen, it took me forever to get access to it, is I think it's called The Cleaners. And it's about uh, an industry in the Philippines of people whose job is to clean social media of <laughs> disturbing and graphic content. <laughs> and what you see when you watch it is there is a huge amount of content that people try and put on the Internet that you and I, if left to our own devices, would want censored yeah like graphic and violence and yeah the things right. that generally everybody agrees on right. right and and you know it describes all these people who have to look at this stuff and delete it and it's frightening you know and and when you look at it you realize you can understand why the leadership might grow to distrust people Right. Well, yeah, but see, and this is always the case, though, right? And this is right. The, the argument is never that that only certain, like that, the people versus the government are altruistic and good. The whole idea of this good guy, bad guy, binary choice—it doesn't, it doesn't hold. It doesn't right. hold. We're all capable hold. of extreme good and extreme evil, in my mind, and it's just about how we are driven and manipulated <clears throat> or make choices in our lives. You know, right? But leadership is supposed to debate is supposed to elevate us. Not debase us. And I think the reason that the neocons were so destructive of the West and and the opportunity, America in 1989 had a golden opportunity. And as far as I'm concerned, we've allowed the neocons to destroy it. And, and, and the question is why? Why did we think it was such a good idea for, for an empire to bring chaos instead of to bring civilization? 
Well, people like James Corbett have been arguing about the engineered fall of the West for quite a while. And it, it, it certainly is a possibility. It does make sense that this is a yeah. transferring of power to some, you know, it, like we see it sort of happening with the China situation here. You know, right. but I don't think it's as bind, as as reduced as, you know, the China bad guy <clears throat> political situation from here. I see them all as I would argue, that, I guess, to make it simple, that if that is what's happening, that the people at the higher levels of the U.S. government and apparatus are involved in what's happening. You know, they're sort of cashing out on this game and laying it at our feet is how that would look to me. But that's just my perspective. Right. No, I think they're cashing out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here is the last part of this before we roll into the ingredients conversation. I don't know why this is having a, I hate all these platforms now that are forcing you to sign up or join before you look at it. But the point is that vaccine passports are here to stay, which we should all recognize by now. No, they're not. Vaccine passports, we should get rid of them. Oh, I'm not saying they're interesting. (laughs) I'm saying that they're obviously, they've made sure that the, this is the point that we're making with your, our conversations about the infrastructure that's been laid and it's still being built despite the narrative rolling away. So go ahead. Give me, give me your point. So I would really encourage you. We sponsored Corey Lynn of Corey Diggs to go do nice. a series on vaccine passports that's up on our website. It's up on her website. And it ends with 22 ways you can get rid of the passports. And Mercola just republished it. So, you know, check out the 22 ways you can get rid of the vaccine passports. But the other thing about this series, and it's all free on our website or Corey's website, you can link to it. You know, we wanted people to understand who was involved in doing this. Who are the players? Who's doing this? And so if you, you know, it's complex, you can see it and you can see how horrible this is. Anyway, we just published it in a hard copy and have sent it out to our subscribers and you can buy it from Corey on her website. Anyway, but um, I would really recommend find that 22 ways you can stop the vaccine passports and everybody just do it. You know, it's what C.J. Hopkins said, whatever opportunity you have to create friction, just yes, just do it. Just create whatever friction you can day to day to day. My, right. my, my point in all this is that, you know, a lot of people feel pessimistic that, you know, they feel like it's insurmountable and maybe it is. But the end of the day is why it's would never, you sit back? It's, it's never agree. insurmountable. It's never. Right, my go point back is, through why, history. Why would you, why would you sit back? Well, sorry, go ahead. Well, no. Throughout history, and Hopkins says this, he's got a beautiful quote we use in the latest wrap-up. He says, you know, things never work out in the long run for the for the tyrants. Totalitarianism doesn't pay in the long run. Right. So just remember that. That's always the tyrants, right? And it's valid for a reason. Right. I, I think that the point being is that why, it, whether or not you perceive it to be insurmountable, and I agree, I, I absolutely don't think that's the case. But even if that was the case, why, why would you still feel comfortable to sit back and just go, oh, well, I guess this is my future? That's just not in me. And I don't think that's in, in you. And I don't think that's in most people. So the point is that I do see a possibility and, and I do see that us as a collective, you know, the, the people of this country and peoples of the countries having an effect on the narrative. I think it's a very positive thing to recognize. And I think that's largely why this was paused, but just my opinion. Right. So what I find is if you, if you freeze and do nothing, you feel terrible. Yes, exactly. If you, (laughs) if you, if you get active and you take action, whether it's building local resiliency, gardening, building a local food supply, or, you know, going on the convoy, you feel much better. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. The pathway to a free and inspired life is one transaction at a time. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. Vote with your dollar is a good way to, to just kick that off. 
But so to finish this off in regard to the, the, the ingredients, and this is something that I've been really interested in speaking with you about in particular, because I know that there's, there's a lot, especially in the COVID-19 conversation, there's a lot of information, but a lot of misinformation. And I argue this is coming from all sides. I, I think people are out there, what I call lying for their truth, which would be essentially be, that they believe something is the truth, but they would alter something to get you to see that truth even though it's faking in how they do it. But I also argue there's people on the other side that would that would put out stuff that is fake to trick the people that they see as part of the problem. It's happening all over the place. Now, this conversation around graphene oxide specifically has been very interesting to me. And I've been I've been this is something that Whitney and I recently talked about. But for me, it all comes back to the the validity of this, whether or not it is something that's actually happening. Now, this right. this is something there's an endless stream of research out there from before this ever started. Here's one of the most obvious recent progress of graphene oxide as a potential vaccine carrier and adjuvant. I mean, it's the mainstream the Western press would argue that in and of itself is fake news because it's such a sense of there that's such a focal point of the of the fake news topics, right? But it's obviously a valid concern. So I wanted your thoughts on this conversation in general about what, you know, updates, especially coming from things like this that we've seen. Moderna right. recall COVID-19 because of stainless steel found it, they say, or even more to the point, here's BBC calling it black particles. So it seems right. like there's a valid conversation and we can listen to what some of them had to say in this little clip, what's in the vax. But, you know, I just wanted your kind of thoughts on where oh, that's a, That's a very interesting. It is. Yeah. But, you want to, you, you, want, you want me to. Yeah, go ahead and play it. It's a very good one. Yeah. And I just wanted to see your thoughts on like the current status of where you think this investigation is. But let, let's listen to what they have to say here. Okay. Censored stories useful to the public. So number one, what's in the vaccines? Number two, is this useful? So um, because these injections are experimental and they're only being used under the EUA, we do not know the full list of ingredients that's in them. No one knows. We do know that there's supposed to be messenger RNA to manufacture spike protein. We found out that there's also messenger RNA in there to stop the body from stopping the body from removing the messenger RNA. We know that there's lipid nanoparticles in there. We know that there's polyethylene glycol in there. Um, what else is in there? We don't know, and no one is holding them responsible for letting us know what is in the shots. Now, real quick to add to that before I finish the next part was that it's interesting is one of the fact checks is talking about how that's fake because here's what they told us is in it. I can't stand how they continue to, they reach out and ask the group. So, so if, you, if you go into the FDA and look at the disclosure, you know, you have ingredients that are redacted. So, exactly. Or the fact right. that you're taking their word for what's in it. There's no verification of this stuff. And yet the right. point is the fact checkers reach out to them and say, what's in it? And they give them a list and they go, okay, you're lying. Well, here's the thing. I never pay any attention to the fact checkers because they were created, you know, to make fake news go. Exactly. So, right. The, the German doctor you mentioned found that it wasn't graphene oxide that was in it. It was graphene hydroxide and the potential for hydro, uh, graphene hydroxide based on his scientific understanding, was that it breaks apart in the bloodstream and causes razor blade cuts into the endothelial lining of the cells, uh, of the blood vessels. Now, we're seeing people with increased clotting in their blood and strokes. We're seeing over 100 soccer players internationally who've already collapsed and died on the that. field. 
and he raised the suggestion that the action of the graphene hydroxide is what's causing these blood clots and these heart attacks and these strokes. So any scientific mind, when they see any, any scientific mind that sees a list of, of observations, then has to ask a question. That's what the scientific method is. Right. Scientific method is, wow, over a hundred of these soccer players have died suddenly and many more athletes have died suddenly. And there's some concern that there might be some chemicals in this shot that are creating not only the cytokine storm that Dr. New spoke about, but blood clots and strokes and sudden death. Um, the question that needs to be asked is, is there something or some things in this shot that could be contributing to the observations that we're seeing? That's a normal scientific method. And then you assess the shots by looking at what the ingredients are, looking at the chemical makeup and trying to understand the effects of those chemicals and what they would have on the body. We do know that there's no study exactly. isolating any of the ingredients in these shots to test them for safety and biological effects in the body short or long term. Mm -hmm. Yet you hear they say these are safe. Right. So when your observation in the real world differs from what they say, do you pay attention to what the authority tells you or do you adhere to your observation and your experience and question further? When you realize that the more you question, the more you get censored, right. then you know where you are. And that's where we are. Because a good scientific question would be, huh, this is really interesting. You know, almost 20,000 people have reportedly died in the United States after having received the shot within two weeks or three weeks. And that may be only less than 1% of the total number of reports of deaths that are usually reported to theirs. This is interesting. I think leave it there and that we can go forward if you'd like to hear some of the other ones as well. But what's, what's really interesting is that this, you know, it's obvious there's a, a question to be asked here. And, and uh, I mean, go ahead. If you want to give me your thoughts right out of the gate based on what he said there. So this is really simple. You can't require anybody to take an injection without informed consent. And you shouldn't require, you shouldn't offer an injection without informed consent. A doctor is, I would argue, ethically responsible to, to give informed consent. What what he's saying is that not one person who took the COVID-19 injection enjoyed informed consent, had informed consent, you know, because there's not full disclosure of what's in it. You can't have informed consent unless you know what's in it. Exactly. Um, and so that's number one. Uh, the second thing is uh, when in Washington, when a policy goes wrong, uh, it gets changed. So let's say they want to go to the right. They implement a policy instead of people going to the right. Do they go to the left? And they say, oh, we made a mistake and they change it. When, in fact, a policy forces people to go to the right, even though they say they want to go to the left and they keep going to the right no matter what, it's because that's what the real goal is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes so sense. the real goal here was to, to keep to have secret ingredients 
the real goal was to um, was to insist and and aggressively market and mandate that people take it, even though it was causing all of these problems and deaths. And uh, and so that talks and speaks to their goal. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, if they're secret ingredients, what are they trying to get into our body and why? Right. And that's what we're trying to answer. Now, based on what we know is in it, we know they're dangerous. So we know that the, that the, that the spike protein is dangerous. We know the lipid nanotoxicity is dangerous. So there's plenty of danger without being able to tell what in the secret ingredients. Now I've, I've been very careful on the secret ingredients because um, there's a lot of disinformation, as you said, pouring in to be very entertaining and distract people from the fundamentals of what we do know. Exactly. Because the fundamentals of what we do know are, are sufficient to talk any sane person into not putting the stuff in their body. But I will say this, there are a couple of great researchers whose work I have access to. And they have also found the steel particles that the Japanese found. Mm-hmm. And they have also found very small amounts, not large amounts, very small amounts of graphene oxide. Interesting. So are- Now, there's no way that steel particles should be in there. There's no way that graphene oxide is in there. We know that the company that was making the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccine <clears throat> admitted in testimony that 15,000 vials, 15 million vials, had foreign ingredients. We right. know that. that That's on the record. <clears throat> and we know that company was deeply involved in the anthrax vaccine, mm. you know, bringing us back to what's going on in the Ukraine. Right, exactly. Right. So this, this you know, so, so this question of what is in this stuff is very important. I will give you a guess based on talking to researchers all around the world <clears throat> who are trying to figure out what's in this. My guess is that there are lots of different kinds of batches and lots of different kinds of place. This is an experiment. Right. And so you, in a million years, you can't assume that one batch is the same as another batch. And you know, at the beginning of the campaign, we had tremendous reports from all sorts of places that they were discovering all their batches were saline solutions. Right. Right. And we've seen this this verified by many other researchers in regard to the actual lots and the differences, the the obvious difference in the reaction on the ground and, and the response. And I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that these, whether by accident or by choice, were can't, it can't. I've listened to people discuss why some batches resulted in more deaths than others. There's been a lot of debate and controversy. But one thing is absolutely clear. And Mike Hayden does a great job of describing this. Whatever is going on, it's intentional. It can't not be intentional. If you understand the manufacturing process for pharmaceuticals like this, it can't not be intentional. Now, I, completely. I, I will tell you, if you look at what we do know about the mysterious ingredients, you know, I think based on what the pathologists have proved that the pharmaceutical companies committed fraud mm-hmm. and, we, and we know can... That. And can and should be stripped of their indemnification and and freedom from liability because fraud removes that protection. 
that, that's been proven by Brooke Jackson, at least in one regard, from Ventavia and the research where they have openly lied about what they found or covered up what they weren't doing properly. So that's very clear. Uh, but it, as it as it applies to the larger picture, I completely agree with you. But let, let's bring this back specifically to the graphene oxide point. So you're saying you have two researchers that you that have found in their assessment have found graphene oxide inside these yeah, injections. Very small amounts. Very interesting. And very so, small. and then I, to your point about the different lots, it's very interesting. So I guess the argument would be that there may be even other things that we don't know about other than graphene oxide that are being put in to try to experiment and test on people. Is that kind of the assessment? Uh, I'm assuming that, that you have different experiments going on through time and, and, and different ingredients are being tested. So and I make no mistake about it. You know, I think ultimately what they're trying to do with mRNA technology, which is gene therapy technology, right? Um, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create, I think their goal ultimately is figure out how to install an operating system in your body. Just like Bill, I said this in, in, you know, April, 2020, you know, Bill Gates put an operating system in your computer. How'd that work out? Now he wants mm -hmm. to put one in your body. Is that what you want? Right. So I really think, and if you if you listen to the Moderna scientific officer, he literally calls the mRNA technology the equivalent of loading an operating system. Right. Their website lays it out very clear with the plug and play platform. It's the whole thing. Ch ch listen to this clip really quickly. I, th this is one that discusses before this all started what they were openly saying about how they wanted to turn your cells in your body. And it's kind of the same thing you're talking about. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. So basically turning your body into its own drug factory, right? And so it's kind of the same idea. And it makes a lot of sense with how they've been working with GMOs to make plants produce drugs and all these weird things they're trying to drive toward. It's very interesting to me. So it makes no sense to me. I mean, this is technology created by hypermaterialists who have no concept of how our energetic bodies work. Right. If you if you want to start and and understand why this is really insane. There's a series of future science reports at the Soleil Report, one called Wave Genome by Ulrich Groniger, who runs our, our future science series. Go go just start by watching um, uh, Wave Genome. And then she did two called Medical Nanobots, part one and part two. And in the commentaries for Medical Nanobots, there's a video uh, that we had as the movie that week on, on science research being done by flatworms. Watch what? that. By what? Flatworms. 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 And what is this? Scientific research on flatworms. Um, let me find it at the Solar Report. So like actual worms, like you're talking about. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. These are like parasites worms. in the body, I would imagine. No. Um, let me. How interesting. Well, while you're grabbing that, I'll bring up the other image that I was going to show next, which is the simple reality. And by the way, don't don't miss that this is. Uh, make sure we're showing this. Here we go. This is from 2020. So this is this whole this idea of graphene oxide as potential vaccine carrier and adjuvant in an injection for what we're talking about was talked about before this all really kicked off. But then also October 16th, where they're discussing well before this got here that graphene family nanoparticles and how they're dangerous. In addition, several typical mechanisms underlying the graphene, uh, the, it's the nano, uh, graphene family nanomaterials 
uh, at toxicity have been revealed. For instance, physical destruction, oxidative stress, DNA damage, inflammatory response, apop- apoptosis, uh, 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 and necrosis. Like it just, these are, you, I could make the same argument about nanoparticles in general or mRNA. None of this ever seems to matter as it gets forced to everybody around the world. So, so to me, this really is an experiment and, uh, you know, they're prototyping. And the question is, what are they trying to get into our bodies yes. and why? Right. Why? And What's the end game here? If you go back and you look at the whole history, I've spent a lot of time over the last 10 years trying to understand the history of vaccines. And, you know, they've spent 100 years trying to get significant amounts of heavy metals into human bodies. And the question is why? Yeah. Through, through geoengineering, which was a fake news story right up until they admitted it for climate change, has always been about aluminum and barium and all the conversations within the, or aluminum and the injections we're talking about. You know, there's a lot of interesting crossover. And then that directly leads to things like Alzheimer's, which is one of the leading issues in, in the UK. And yet we find an interesting crossover with the vaccine injections or the injections as well with prions right. disease and Alzheimer's and ALS. It's, it's very interesting. I don't know. Um, wait a minute. Sorry, I'm trying to find this uh, wave genome. I put the mm-hmm. I put the link to the flatworm video in the chat. Okay, let me let me bring it up here. Let's see. Hold on, just a second. I'm just getting the wave genome for you. There we go. Let me grab this one. I'll bring this up for everyone to look at. And I'm gonna try, I'm gonna make sure to try to grab all these links that she's been discussing for the uh, for the show. Oops, you guys oops. can check them out. Okay, so here's the one that she just sent me. This is from Solar Report. Future Science Series. Oh, here, let me show you guys. Future yes. Science Series, so the, Medical Nanobots. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so the video for the uh, Medical Nanobots is subscriber only, but the video on the flatworm is in the commentary. That's open. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll include – would you like me to play it? Uh, no. Can you discuss it for me? What I want you to do, you watch the wave genome and then and then watch the flatworms. And um, uh, well, in any case, I'll, I'll include this in the show notes so people can check it out for themselves. I find it very okay. alarming the kind of interesting the research that they're continuing to. I, I play this video often about the the genome itself, or about the about the research in it of how they've been patenting life for a long time and how now we're getting this interesting point. And maybe that's a good place to end on in the discussion about what they're trying to accomplish here, whether it's patenting the human genome itself or DNA or, or your body. Like there, there's conversations about what, what it means for these things to actually integrate with your DNA. By the way, multiple peer reviewed studies as of like the last week have shown that this is happening, that it is, uh, you know um, what's the word transcribing reverse transcribing into your DNA. So what does that mean? for the conversation of patenting and, and, and the research they're doing. So, so we know that the many of the people doing this believe that they can use technology to change our bodies without our consent. Right. And, um, and that's why it really makes sense for your audience to read and study and understand what transhumanism is yes. because they really believe that they can improve the human body and they can essentially turn, they can humanize a robot and robotize a human and use this technology and the integration of this technology into the human body to do it. And here, this is a good, a good point to include here at the end. And this is something that I've been showing people for quite a while. 
to really understand the mentality behind this. And this is from 2018, where it says compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert. And basically, all they're saying is that they're arguing that if moral, that's how they frame the moral bioenhancement, which by the way, graphene inside of an injection would constitute bioenhancement, ought to be compulsory, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. And they literally frame this as promoting the values of liberty and utility and equality. So in my mind, this is just exactly where we might be right now, where they've already made this argument that if we're going to do it, we should do it quietly because they're too dumb to understand what's happening. Up and up is down and down is up. (laughs) Ignorance is strength, right? 1984. It's literally where we are right now. (laughs) Well, it's just, I mean, Catherine, I could sit here and talk to you for four hours. There's so much important information that I just, I love these conversations, but I really thank you for you know, being objective and having these conversations about if you wouldn't mind, please sending me the research you have from the researchers discussing the graphene oxide. So I can include that because this is obviously, well, no, was, I don't, I can't, I can't send that without their permission and they okay. haven't published it yet. Got so it. Got they're, it. They're, we'll they're, they're trying to document and they haven't published, but as soon as they do, I will send it. I'm very glad you discovered the Skidmore survey. I think yes, it's a very important thing for everybody to, Um, to watch. And I would recommend the Doctors for COVID Ethics has had, you know, that is the gold standard uh, website on what we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a few doctors groups that are very good. They're one of them, but the Doctors for COVID Ethics has had three symposiums. The videos are all up on their website. They did them in sponsorship with UK column, which has done a great job. Yes. And, And all those videos are available. And if you want to know all the, best scientific information on what we know about these injections and what do you do to their body. Just watch those three symposiums. We just had the last one in February. So it was excellent. Outstanding. Well, I'll make sure to include that as well. And just my final thoughts on the way out here, you know, I think, a lot of my audience specifically has been you know, frustrated, and I understand why, of, of my, as I call, irritating objectivity around the conversation about, about graphene oxide. And, and it's just that I'm, I'm very, very concerned about how, as, as you know as well, that the counterintelligence kind of operations that go around these things where I believe they're putting out stuff that is intentionally inflammatory or unverified about real things though. So that we would point at it so it can be debunked, which I already argue has already been done, even though there's valid concerns here, potentially as you're pointing out, the researchers finding the exact thing that that I argue has been done in a way that was made it to be dismissed. So I'm very happy to hear that there's some, some, I'm interested to see that research. And I think that I've been very concerned about how obvious that potential really is. And maybe what you're saying here is confirming that this is really happening. And I'm interested to see that research. So, well, all we know is that the regulatory structure is completely compromised. Right. You know, and if you didn't know that before, read Kennedy's book and (laughs) it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. But um, the one, the one last thing I would say is, the, the benefit of looking at all of this as gruesome and dark as it is, is as you do that, it's sort of the door that walks through because this kind of poisoning and tyranny has drained all of our lives and our families and community f- for years. Mm-hmm. And the little secret behind all of this is if we could get this, cra- if we could get the Beck brothers out of our lives you know, life could be pretty nice because the drain has been so terrible. It's like having a tapeworm. You know, yes, it's bad news. You got a tapeworm. Yes, it's bad. that If the tapeworm keeps growing, it could kill you. But the thing is, if you detox the tapeworm, life could be pretty nice. 
Right. I agree. And and the moral to that argument, the, the, the analogy is simply that it's time to fight back because nobody ever fights back. And now it's time to fight back. It's time, it's time, time to, to fight back. back. Yes. It's time to fight back because the worst thing that can happen to you if you fight back is not as bad as what could happen to you if you don't. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, thank you for being here, Catherine. It's always a pleasure. And Okay. Give my love to Tennessee. I miss you all. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Absolutely. Stay vigilant.